I want to welcome you this morning. Uh, my name is Brian White. I'm so glad you're here. As uh, Jeremy said in that short little introduction, that today is our fall kickoff, and uh, we have a, a lunch over at the, the gym right afterwards, and a lot of our things are starting up this week. Uh, just a great time of year. So glad that you're here to celebrate this with us. Um, I do think it's really important. I, I'd like to pause before we even get in the message, and um, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but uh, they're looking at at least 2,000 people. Uh, were killed in an earthquake in Morocco yeah, in the last couple of uh, 24 hours. And let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence in the midst of every season. In days of joy and health, but also your presence in times of tragedy. We lift up all the way around the globe the many persons who are grieving, are lost, are suffering. We ask that you might be present. And in the midst of the physical and the emotional rubble, that you might show your face and Lord, that you would call your people to be present as your tangible presence. In your son's name, amen. I have to say a point of personal privilege. It's my dad's birthday today. I think he's going to be okay. You can turn out okay. So we've been in a sermon series uh, looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians, um, part of a larger series that we're looking at some specific letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison, most likely Ephesus, about 110 miles away from Colossae. Um, and, and Colossians is unique for several different reasons. For one, it's um, outside of Romans. Uh, Colossians is the only letter that was written to a church that Paul didn't start. And he doesn't know these people. Um, but it, it's, it's fascinating because the, the bigger issue is the church at Colossae, a very small group, probably just a couple families, maybe a dozen people or so. But there's just infant brand new Christians, just brand new Christians. And, and I think... Um, it makes sense that the point of Colossians is the need for Christians to mature. Paul wants these baby Christians, the Colossians, to understand that they started a journey when they decided to follow Christ. They had been reborn, and now they need to grow up. Now, in his other letters, and we talked about this last week, you know, like Romans and uh, Galatians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Paul, Paul uses really technical terms to describe that process. Justification by faith through grace, sanctification. Uh, you know, we talked about what those terms mean last week. So if you really want to go into that, just go back to last week. Um, but in a nutshell, justification by grace through faith means that um, the moment you respond to God's grace is when you begin that journey. And so, you know, Paul didn't want the Colossians is the point. Paul didn't want the Colossians to think that the job was already done once they accepted 
Christ. The reality was the journey's just beginning. And I think this is such a huge issue today because far too many Christians, and I think churches, think all you need to do is just say the right prayer and get baptized and you can check off your Jesus box. Think of these terms as God's strategy to address the human heart, the human condition. Because we're broken. I mean, deep down, we, we're, our hearts, our lives, everything is broken. And God wants to change that. Historically, there's a couple different ways that, that we've looked at how that addresses and, and how God addresses this. And, and a guy named Augustine, this is years and 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 years ago. Um, Augustine had a philosophy, and, and I want you to go with me on this uh, It's an analogy. And we're going to think about trains. Uh, it was way before trains were ever invented, okay? But for Augustine, you are born on a train going to hell or heaven, and you have no say in the matter whatsoever. It's, it's predestined, is the point. There was another guy about the same age. His name was Pelagius. And he, he just couldn't, don't, he couldn't go with that. He was, How can you look at a, a baby and say they're, they're already damned to heaven? There's no way that can't happen. You were born at a train station, and you have the opportunity, the ability to choose which train you want to be on. And at any point, you know, you can be on that train going down to hell, but you can just jump off it if you want to and, and get on the other train. And, and he said a great way to do that is by following the teachings of Jesus. We know that as universalism. And that was pretty much the only way to look at the issue for, for just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, uh, Calvin, uh, Luther, Luther was an Augustinian monk. I mean, they were so steeped in this. And so that was, that was kind of the, the, the only two options. Now, how that happened, um, Augustine's first name got changed to Saint. And then Pelagius was banished to, uh, I, I think, Egypt at the time. And so, you know, you, you can see where we ended up as a tradition until about the 18th century. And my hero, John Wesley, said no. We're all born on a train going away from God. It's just going to happen. But at one point, you look back and you want to be on that train going with God. And eventually, you, you, you jump off the train, heading away from God toward hell. And you start running. And you start running. And, and you never, you, you can never make it, is the point. It's always just a little bit beyond your grasp. You, you just can't make it. You fall down in exhaustion. And that's when Jesus picks up and places you on the train going to heaven with God. And I like the term responsible grace. That would, he didn't coin that. But the point is we respond to God's grace. But the bigger point is that's where Paul said you cannot stop in your journey. And this is where I think a lot of Christians stop in the journey because 
once you get on that train, your entire life is spent allowing the Holy Spirit to clean out the boxcars one at a time, over and over and over. So as Teresa Avila said, the interior castle of your heart, that the Holy Spirit comes in and cleans out the dust and the decay, room by room by room, opens up the curtains, allows the sunlight in. Because we're supposed to have a real change in our hearts is the point. With justification, we're made right with God because of Jesus' death on a cross. You're forgiven. You're set free. You're a newborn. This is where the Colossians were. But when that happens, you begin a lifelong journey of sanctification. And this is a real change in your heart, a real change in your behavior. And more and more, you start to live as Jesus taught because your heart's changing. And you do this out of love for Christ and for others. We're justified by grace through faith when we choose to follow Jesus. But then we begin at the same point, a journey of actually learning to follow Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't use those terms in Colossians. Rather than technical terms, he just kind of paints a picture of what that looks like. He wants them to get your hearts and your actions really do change if you're following Jesus. He says a death occurs so that we can be reborn. We die to our previous selves. We die to the ways of this world and we live life as a new creation in King Jesus' kingdom. And when this happens, our actions, they look more and more and more like the actions of the Lord that we follow. So Paul contrasts those, those two in chapter 3. And, and first he says you need to leave this life, the life of this world behind. And then he describes what that new life actually looks like. So I want to start with Gal or Col Colossians, Galatians. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever is in you that is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, which is idolatry, he says. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life, but now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew. There is no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, that was like the worst of the worst. They, they were like the, the hicks way up there that, that was like, yeah. Slave and free. Christ is all in all. So he's saying becoming a follower of Jesus is like taking off a set of clothes and putting on a new set of clothes. And that actually happened in the early church when they baptized someone. They would often, uh, they'd come in and, and before they were baptized, they'd, they'd take off their previous set of clothes and then they would have an entirely new set of clothes. It was usually white to symbolize purity that they would put on once they came out of the waters of baptism. They were, this is the knew. They were leaving the ways of the world behind. We're going to see in the next passage that Paul's going to use that same metaphor. 
changing clothes when he describes taking on the ways of King Jesus' kingdom. But here's he's saying how you get rid of your old clothes. He says, you don't just throw them in the hamper, or if you're like me, on the floor. <laughs> you're not just going to wash these and put them back on. They aren't going to work for you anymore. The ways of this world. They're like a poison that's going to seep into your water supply and it's going to destroy you. There's only one way to deal. You have to put them to death. Then he lists some examples of what he's talking about. And, and it's a vice list in 3.5. Put to death, he says, therefore, whatever is in you is earthly. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, greed, which is idolatry. And he goes on and on and on. There is no place for this stuff in King Jesus' kingdom. You have to leave that behind. That is the way of this world. You are no longer living in this world. And, and I think it's so important to say, you know, Paul will have these vice lists. He also has virtue lists we'll look at in, in all of his letters. And they're never the same. And, and here's why I, I think it's important to get. You know, rather than, you know, figuring this is a comprehensive checklist for us to make sure, you know, He's talking about patterns, and usually when he comes up with these lists, it's, it's either, it's one of two things. It's something he knows the church is dealing with, like with Colossians, or it's something that he knows that particular town that this particular church is in is dealing with, and, and the same with his virtue list. So rather than thinking, you know, well, I, I, you know, fornication, no, impurity, no, passion, no, evil, desire, no, greed, well, maybe I need to look at that, you know, that's not a comprehensive checklist. It's, these are the patterns, the things you, you need to think of. Am I engaging in behaviors that have no place in King Jesus' kingdom? So when he talks about things like this, what he's really saying is, these things are part of our lives. Well, then we're not in Jesus' kingdom. Because these things don't exist in the new life. And even further, when we participate in these things, we're worshiping the same things that we worshiped before Jesus was our Lord. And they're false gods. And if they're present in our lives, it means we're worshiping these things rather than God. And when we worship these things, damage occurs. On the one who is engaging in these things, but also those around them, because these things, they harm relationships. Our relationships with each other, our relationships with God. Things like illicit sexual behavior, things like greed, like desire. I mean, he, he lists all this anger, wrath. He has a lot to say about speech here. I hope you heard that. Uh, you know, telling lies, slander, abusive language. I mean, these things do damage. Everything they touch, they damage. So we need to leave them behind Paul's concerned about the individual Christians. He's also concerned about the community, that how, how life in the community, but also how life in the community is being perceived outside of the community. We're going to get to Philippians, and that's going to be a big deal when we get there. How, is people, how are people outside the church seeing the church behave? And how is that a witness to Jesus? This behavior harms everything. The key is verse 10. Paul says we are being renewed according to the image of the creator. 
And then he said the result is new knowledge, he says. Part of that new knowledge is to see these vices for what they are and to understand what these vices do to us. Because he says we're being renewed in the image of God. We're image bearers. Rather than reflecting the ways of the world back to the world, we're supposed to shine the image of Jesus' kingdom to the world through our actions. Now, I have so much more to say about that, but Paul says we're supposed to leave that behind, so we got to move on. <laughs> I have a lot to talk about this morning. So let's look at 3, 12 through 17. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage. As God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, gratitude in your heart, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, like I said, this is a virtue list rather than the vice list that we just look at. It's as far from that as you can get, right? And that's the point. These are the behaviors the church is supposed to be known for. And, and it's so, it should be so obvious that you can't engage in the same list of behaviors at the same time. You can't live in both kingdoms in the same time, is what Paul's trying to say. Like I said, he uses these viceless and these virtueless all the time in his letters, and they're never, ever the same. And the point really is not to give a comprehensive checklist as much as to paint a picture. You take off your old set of clothes so that you can put these on. You die to that life so you can live in this life. You can't wear these clothes and these clothes at the same time. You can't live in both realities at the same time. This is what life for those who have died to their previous lives and are living as Jesus' disciples in his kingdom, this is what their lives should look like. At least they should look more and more like this the longer they're disciples. Because our lives are supposed to change as we start to follow Jesus. Because discipleship is a journey. So last week I came across a quote by one of my favorite New Testament um, scholars, N.T. Wright. And, and he basically said, if a church would just spend like five to seven years just trying to live this passage out, he said Paul would be very pleased. And he said you know, Jesus would be very pleased. And I want us to do that. I mean, seriously. You know, for years, I, I, I just wanted us to have an intentional discipleship strategy based on what happens in the Gospels. 
And we had a series earlier this year focusing on just, if you remember, we really just tried to, I, I tried to be disciplined at least, most of it was just focus on Mark's story of the disciples in the Gospel of Mark. And it's fascinating when you just focus on the disciples' story. Because the disciples, they follow Jesus. That's what a disciple's supposed to do, right? It, 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 we've talked about this over and over and over. When we use the word follow, you know, in general, it always means you, 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 you follow whoever your, whoever your leader is. And you do what they do and you go where they go. And for some reasons, Christians think that that doesn't apply when we talk about following Jesus. We think it just means that we're supposed to invite Jesus into our heart. And that's, that's what following means. But if you read the Gospels, the disciples, they actually did follow Jesus. I mean, they went where he went. They did what he did. And, and they, it was, they were learning on the job, you know, at the time. At one point, he actually, he, he just said, okay, I want you to go out and do the things that you saw me do. They hadn't, dis, you know, they hadn't graduated disciple school yet. But they went out and did it, and then they came back, and then they talked about the situation. They debriefed the experience. And I think that's such a great model for discipleship. And even after he ascended into heaven, what? They, they continued to do these things that he did. Uh, you know, Acts of the Apostles takes up after the Gospels. And, and, and it's the story of how they continued to follow him. The Holy Spirit descended upon him at Pentecost. And, and the church was born. And Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit working through the church as they continued to follow Jesus. All through Acts, they, they, they did the same things. It, they were called the body of Christ, you know. And, and if Jesus did something in Luke, there was a, there's, a, there's a story battling sitting out in Acts that says, you know, the, the church did the exact same thing that Jesus did back in the Gospels. Because Jesus' followers are supposed to be his continued tangible presence on the earth. The body of Christ. And that commission... It, it, as far as I've seen, it's never been revoked. And I've always wanted to have a strategy to do this, to, to equip us to live as Jesus' followers. And then to, to, to debrief, how is that happening out in our lives, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods? How is this happening? You know, when we're working on a water system in Honduras, or maybe building a house, or, you know, rainforest, um, uh, reforestation in Honduras. How's God at work in our lives in the midst of that? When we're working at, at a house in the, one of the neighborhoods at Upticode, we're providing food at the mobile market, or, or working with kids at After School Matters, or maybe fixing bikes to give away with in-gear. I mean, there's all of these things that we do in our, in our children's ministry, preschool, kindergarten, elementary, our, our youth, our life groups, men's, women's ministries. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, having a really intentional strategy here at Hillspring so that we can start looking like Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And I think the time's come. You know, this, God's done amazing things through our church. We have an amazing legacy in the Tri-Cities. And, 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 and I have felt God's presence in such a new way in this last year. What a great year. 
But I think this next year, as we step into this next year, I think it's going to be something beyond anything we've experienced. We have some huge things coming down the pike. We'll talk about that as we uh, progress into the fall, especially at our all-church meeting um, week before Thanksgiving. But I want to talk about a new staff position we've created. So a lot of you know, you know, I, I called my friend Steve Lewis a, a while back and, and I, I asked him just out of the blue, hey, do you think you can come and preach every like couple months? And, and in my mind, I was actually thinking, well, maybe every six months we can get him. And as we progressed, and Steve started helping us with our community center and, and some other things and small groups, um, he's felt a call to join us as our pastor of community engagement and discipleship. And Steve spent his entire career um, mostly as a professor, uh, teaching undergrad students and universities and adults and going on seminary. And, and then uh, he has, I mean, he has two master's degrees and a PhD in historical theology. I, I reached over and I asked him, did Pelagius get drawn and quartered or did they just send him to Egypt? He actually knew. <laughs> the last nine years, he was senior pastor in Gresham. Um, in that time, he, he founded a nonprofit community center in Gresham called the Rockwood Center, and, and it's very similar to what we felt called to do. And, and um, to date, he's written grant applications that he's received $650,000 for that community center in the last nine years. But he's not just a grant writer. Uh, it just wasn't, as he just wasn't a president of that organization, as he just wasn't a senior pastor, as he just wasn't a professor or an academic dean or a keynote speaker, which would not believe his resume. I've known him for over 25 years and he sent me his resume. I was looking through all the things that he's spoke out of. Incredible. Over and over, whatever title Steve has had or position that he has had, he's just been a blessing to the community that God brought him in to lead. And he is now being brought into our community. He's going to help lead the creation of our community center, but also he's going to help create and implement a discipleship strategy that's going to help us live into Paul's vision from Colossians 3, as together we follow Jesus. So I want to invite Steve to come up and talk about that. Well, 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 thank you. There's so many things to say that uh, I know food's ready, so I don't want to belabor. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a book on how to win friends and influence people or whatever. Well, messing with their dinner is not one of the ways to influence people. Um, yeah, I, I um, you know, let me just say this. You know, everything, everything you heard Brian say is true. Um, but the most important thing you need to know about me is I'm a pilgrim on a journey. I'm a student of the mysteries of God. That is the best way to frame who I am. I spent a career as a teacher, but ultimately I'm a student, and at times I've had the privilege to be a teacher, right? So I'm perpetually a disciple on a journey, and my foundational uh, philosophy, theology is of discipleship, if you will, is social and personal holiness. It's how I grew up in the Pentecostal world, which is influenced by John Wesley's thinking. 
so those are two two elements, right? One that how one has a relationship with God is really important and is foundational. And so, but even when you look at the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, when you really analyze, and I'm glad you've done that with the disciples in Mark, you'll realize Jesus talks about how here's how you should pray and you should do this. And but where does most of the focus that Jesus teaches the disciples to do? The second part, the social part. So salvation is not worth having if you can't do something with it, right? So discipleship's both this, growing in your own relationship with Jesus Christ, and then, then, then what's the point of that? Augustine, that you referred to earlier, said, an unexamined faith is not worth living. And I can tell you that Christians, we have mastered unexamined faith. We, and we've talk, we'll talk a lot about that maybe going forward. So, so 10 weeks ago, I had a job And I, 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 and I thought that I would be doing some other things with my life than working in church. And so when Brian says a call, I, I would say more of a haunting. <laughs> Calls are progressive, and Brian illustrated that really well in what he said. So my journey with you is, is interesting, folks. Uh, I'm, like I said, I, I'm somebody who's never had anybody work for me. Only people work with me. Uh, I, I'm, I know there's health insurance because after Jeremy spoke, spoke I know there must be a mental health p- p- component. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure there's a mental health component. <laughs> Love you, dude. No. <laughs> I mean, if there's no other reason to join the staff, he's it. <laughs> You'll always have fun staff meetings, right? But no, I, I'm interested in being on the journey. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested in the Kennewick Project, and I talked to, to Frank today, and just an imagination for how, you know, this is a very strong church. It's, it's, it's rich in its, in its uh, discipleship already. There's a lot of great small groups, a lot of great things going on. I, I'm really excited to think about what the future can be as we live out um, a strategy from birth to death, basically, on how one continues to walk with Christ. <clears throat> Some of you in the senior levels, my, my good friend and second father, Edsel, at 85 years old, we don't have a high expectation. Although Edsel's office is right, if you don't know it, it's right outside there where he sits on the, on the wall and he's still giving pastoral care every Sunday. Um, but, uh, and that's still ministry, that's still discipleship, right? So, so how, does, how do we engage and understand discipleship's a lot of different things, and how do we have what I call soft and hard entrances? A hard entrance to discipleship is 36 weeks of the, of the Cokesbury Discipleship Program. Oh, my Lord. For those of you who've done it, God bless you. But then there's other things like bruising Bible. Now, that'll get you excited. Come with your favorite adult beverage. You, you know how hard it is to get chocolate milk? <laughs> to say you guys have chocolate milk no like no one has chocolate milk so um but but that's a great place again the expectations are lower right it's not about how much can i learn or remember it's sort of like hey let's sit down and have a conversation about the journey in life and some of that's biblical stuff text and others just life journey um the, the theater theology i've done this forever in the academic world with students where we would see movies together or separate and we come back and have conversations about theology and film that's discipleship you're applying what, how you understand your journey with Christ and looking at in cultural context, which is technically my specialty, is American religious culture, 
right? The interaction between Christianity and American culture. I won't bore you with this, but I've done a whole bunch of research on body art as spiritual expression. And no, I do not have a tattoo. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of them, all right? So what I guess what I want to say is um, when we talk about in community engagement and discipleship, discipleship, it's the same thing. It's how I'm growing with Christ and how that leads me to touch the world around me. There's no separation between the two of those. There is no, you know, I can love Jesus and hell with everybody else. That's not possible. I can love Jesus. I get to go to heaven. Yeah, but it won't be fun if you don't share what you have, right? Discipleship's about growing individually and corporately and sharing that with the world in which we're a part of. And there's so much need out there. There's so much need for people who love Jesus Christ to be able to share that with others and touch people's lives in positive ways. We don't have to sell Jesus like t-shirts or Pepsi. You just have to live it. And in living it, you will touch lives. That's discipleship, right? So I'm excited about the journey, uh, excited about working with a lot of these wonderful people here. Uh, we can talk more about how I got here because I'm not sure that I know without going through some therapy who could help me unpack it. <laughs> Ten weeks ago, I'm in a Methodist church wearing a robe uh, with a choir, although I preach the same way. I, mean, didn't, I, I just talk to people. And, and now I'm standing here with waterfalls behind me and a preacher with a t-shirt. <laughs> I told my wife today, I said, Renee, okay, I'm going to be the best dressed male staff member. <laughs> you know, hands down, right? Uh, it, 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 I have a lot of fun, and, and like I said, we, Brian and I, we've known each other for about 25 years, and, and so to be a part of the team is, uh, is still, like, just overwhelming, uh, and all the stuff that's going on, and I, and I pray for your patience and, and your prayers. Uh, as Renee and I make a transition, she's a pharmacist going on her 30th year at Safeway. Uh, we have a, our dream home is in Portland or in, in Gresham, and it's going to be a year transitioning for us to get from here to there, and, and we go from the beautiful rains and trees of Oregon <laughs> to whatever this is. <laughs> this is artificial, because there's not this many trees at all in Richland. Uh, so, uh, but you know, as, we, as you look at the fall and talk about the landscapes of our life, you know, th this is part of those journeys as you go from one place to the other. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. And I, I'll learn some of your names uh, as we go along. But, but, but thank you for being willing to invite me into a community that's had such a wonderful history and, and a crazy pastor that, that makes me feel better because I can't be worse than him. <laughs> so uh, anyway, blessings on you.